Right, well, good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. So uh, as you already heard, this week we hosted our annual Vacation Bible Camp. Uh, and because of that, we have our kids with us for the entire service. Usually at this time, the kids are dismissed and they go downstairs for uh, Sunday school. We're not doing that this week. Uh, we're going to be all together, all of us. And uh, because of that, I'm actually going to be directing a lot of this week's message towards the kids, with the kids in mind. Um, so if things sound a little bit different this morning, uh, that's why. So raise your hand if you are a kid and you were at VBC this week. I see a couple hands. Okay, cool. Now I wonder if one of you guys could help me out. This week we, wait for the question. <laughs> Uh, this week, we had a theme that we said at least twice a day. It was something that was usually yelled. It was one sentence. Do you guys remember what the theme was? Chase, you remember? That was the title of it. Yeah, can you say it louder? The victory is won. And it was a little bit more specific than that. You're very close. But it was, in Jesus, the victory is one. Now, I think that that's a great theme. In Jesus, the victory is won because it appeals to a desire that all of us have, right? Which is the desire to win. It's the desire to triumph, to be victorious. And I don't think any of us need proof that we as human beings have a desire to win. But if we do need any proof, I think the best evidence we have is the popularity of sports, right? There are so many people that either watch or play sports. In fact, I did a little bit of research on this. And in 2014, the amount of money that was made off of sports in North America, so not in the whole world, but just in North America, was $60.5 billion. And that is a lot of money, right? And to be more spe specific, the amount of money made just by the NFL in 2014 was $7.24 billion. Now, how much money is $7.24 billion? Well, that amount of money that just the NFL made in one year is more money than many countries make an entire year. Every year, the World Bank estimates about how much every country in the world has made in terms of all of the goods and services that that country provides. And in 2015, 47 out of 194 countries made less money than the NFL did. 47 countries in the world made less money in one year than the NFL. So in all that money, all those billions of dollars, that represents a lot of people who are watching sports. A lot of people who are watching sports and playing sports and I'm pretty sure that none of those people are watching or playing because they want to see their team lose, right? That's not why you watch or play sports, because you want to lose. Everybody's watching because they want their team to win. So we're drawn to sports, whether we watch or we play them, because we want to experience the thrill of winning. We want to experience the thrill of victory. And so, again, our VBC theme from this last week, I think, is a really strong one. In Jesus, the victory is won because it appeals to that desire that we have to win, the same desire that earns 
the NFL $7.24 billion in a year. And it reminds us that it's through Jesus that we win. Through Jesus, we have true victory. To be truly winners in this life, the way to do that is through faith in Jesus. But I think we have to recognize something that's really important, which is that although in Jesus the victory is won, the victory we're talking about is a victory over something specific. Right? It's not victory uh, on, in our sports games or victory in our bank account. Um, the victory is something more specific than that. So in order to figure out what our victory is over, we should look at the scripture passage where our theme comes from. And the scripture passage that our theme comes from is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 50. Now the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. And uh, here's what he says, starting in 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So let's stop there. What does that mean? So what Paul is saying there is that our bodies, as they are right now, flesh and blood, cannot exist forever. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. Why is that? Well, it's because the kingdom of God, which is another way of describing heaven, heaven is eternal. Heaven is everlasting. But our bodies are not eternal. They're not everlasting. Our bodies are perishable. They break down. They get old. Now, when you're a kid, you have a really hard time believing that that's going to happen to you. But it does happen. There's no getting around it. It's part of life. Even if you take good care of yourself, eventually things stop working well. When I was a kid, I remember that I would get frustrated with older people because they moved slowly. And I would think, why don't they just move quicker? It's not that hard. I remember thinking that I could probably run around the living room half a dozen times before my grandparents could get up and go from the couch to the kitchen. And I'd think, it's not that hard for me to move quickly. They must be able to move quickly if they just tried harder. And then there was the fact that adults were always talking about being tired all the time and wanting to sleep. It seemed like the thing that every adult wanted to do was take a nap. I thought, why do adults always want to nap? Why don't they want to have fun? They must not like fun. And then I'd hear stories about how some adult fell down and got hurt and had to go to the hospital. And we're not talking about like falling down a flight of stairs or falling out of a tree. We're just talking falling the distance from standing to the, to the floor. And I would think, how do you get hurt just by doing that? You know, I do that multiple times a day, sometimes just for fun. You just tuck and roll. It's not that hard. <laughs> and underneath all that frustration that I had with adults was that this feeling that they must not really feel as bad as they say they do. Or I would think they must have done something to allow themselves to feel as bad as they did. They must have done something to allow themselves to, to get old. 
And I would think if they just tried a little harder, if they had just willed themselves to stay young, they would be able to move just as quickly as me, and they'd be able to have just as much energy as me, and be able to fall and not get hurt just as much as me. Now, I don't know if any of you guys, any of you kids, feel the same way that I once did. But if you do, I have to tell you, most of the adults you know are not pretending. They really are tired. Sometimes their bodies really do hurt. If they cl complain about their back or something like that, their back really does hurt. Uh, if they have trouble moving quickly, it's not because they're not trying hard. Now, I am still pretty young, and I know the kids here might not think so, but I am. Youth is a relative term. I'm still pretty young. But you know what? Even at my age, I can already tell that my body doesn't work as well as it used to when I was a kid. I can already see that happening. And that's because, like Paul says, our bodies are perishable. Every one of us, even if we're young, and we think our bodies are imperishable, they're never going to fade, they're never going to break down, that's not true. They really are perishable. So the question that Paul is addressing here is, if we are perishable, then how can we possibly inherit the kingdom of God? How can we exist eternally in heaven if our bodies are perishable? What's the solution? Well, Paul answers that question in the next couple of verses. Here's what he says. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That's a nice way of saying we will not all die. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Now, what Paul is saying here is something that is amazing. And honestly, I think it's, it's hard to believe, but it's something that's really core to the Christian faith, which is that when Jesus returns, we believe that Jesus is going to return, and that's what Paul means by the last trumpet. That's a way of describing when Jesus returns. He's saying when Jesus returns, the physical bodies, both of the people who are currently alive on earth and of the people who have died, are going to be transformed into imperishable bodies, into bodies that will not break down anymore. And this transformation is going to happen like this. It's going to happen in an instant. It says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. The actual word there that gets translated into these phrases is atomus. And, and, and an atom is the term that we use for the smallest unit that we can, we can observe. Or at least there was a... I'm not going to get into it. Now we see things that are even smaller. But for a while, we described atoms as the simplest building blocks of reality. And so, and so what Paul is saying is basically in, in the smallest amount of time that you can imagine, that's how quickly this transformation is going to take place from perishable to imperishable. So all of us with our perishable bodies, our bodies that have a tendency to break down and fade, we are going to put on something when Jesus returns that will transform us into imperishable, everlasting bodies. And then he goes on to say, 
when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting, of, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that last verse there that's where our VBC theme comes from. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to see is that when we recognize where our VBC theme came from, we can see that it's clear that the victory that we have through Jesus is victory over two specific things. It's victory over death, and it's victory over sin. Death and sin. Now, we already talked some about death, gaining these imperishable bodies. And uh, I want to acknowledge that it's very hard for us to believe that this is going to actually happen because throughout history, uh, we, we have witnessed that nothing seems more powerful than death. You know, you look, think back to the Civil War. Is anyone alive still today that fought in the Civil War? Nope. Death is this force that just seems to march on and eat up everything in its, in its wake. Uh, back when this was written, it was common to think of death like a big monster that would swallow everything up. Not literally, this is a symbol, but this is the way people would conceive of death, as a big monster that's swallowing things. And that's why Paul says that death itself is going to be swallowed up, because he's appealing to that, that image that people would have in their heads. And he's saying, actually, the, the, the monster that swallows up everything, that itself is actually going to get swallowed up. And the reason it's going to get swallowed up is because there is actually something in the universe that is more powerful than death. And the thing that's more powerful than death is Jesus. And we know that because Jesus wasn't swallowed up by death. For a little while it looked like he was swallowed up by death after he had been crucified. But he didn't stay dead. On the third day he rose again. And what Paul says here is that when Jesus returns, when he comes back, he's going to demonstrate his power over death again by giving eternal life to anyone who he desires to give it to. Whether they're still alive or if they've been dead for a long time, Jesus has the power and authority to swallow up death and to give eternal life. So through Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of death. Now let's talk a little bit more about the second thing that Jesus gives us victory over, which is sin. Now I want us to see that Paul sees a, a, a relationship between sin and death. Uh, what he says is, the sting of death is sin. Now what does that mean? Well, I was actually confused by this verse for a long time until I realized that it's more accurate to translate it as the stinger of death is sin. So in order to understand this, I think uh, it's helpful to picture a scorpion. Whenever I'm reminded of these creatures, I'm always glad that there aren't any around here. Um, but yeah, think of a scorpion. and. 
I want you to imagine that this scorpion represents death. This is the monster of death, the threat of death. And uh, as, as a representation of that, he represents the threat of us getting older, the threat of our bodies being perishable and falling apart. Um, now what Paul is saying is that if we think of death in this way, then the stinger of death is sin. Um, if it weren't for sin, death wouldn't really be a threat, just as with a scorpion. If a scorpion doesn't have a stinger, the scorpion isn't really a threat. But it's sin that gives death the power to kill us. It's sin that makes it so that death is actually something that we need to be afraid of. If there were no sin in the world, if no human beings had ever sinned, then there would be no reason to be afraid of death. Death wouldn't be a threat. But because of sin, death is a threat. Sin is the stinger on the monster of death. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus removed death's stinger. Uh, the scorpion of death cannot kill us now because Jesus has taken care of the stinger, taken care of sin. It's like he pulled it off the scorpion. And this is a little hard to understand, but the way Jesus did that was by dying on the cross. Jesus hadn't sinned himself, but he allowed himself to be stung by death's stinger so that we wouldn't have to. And he died because of that sting. But he didn't stay dead. Unlike any one of us, Jesus was stronger than the scorpion, and he overcame that poison, and he ripped off the stinger so that we don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Now, there's at least two ways that Jesus gives us victory over sin. One way is kind of by what I just described, which is by freeing us from the eternal consequences of sin. Normally, the consequences of sin are death. The stinger of our sin leads to death. But Jesus has removed the stinger, so we don't have to fear the eternal consequences of our sin. But the second way that Jesus gives us victory over sin is by helping us not to sin. Um, now, none of us are going to be perfect in this life. That's, that's not possible. But Jesus helps us not to sin in two ways. One is through his example. Uh, we believe that when Jesus came to earth, he was God in the flesh, and he embodied what it looks like to live a truly good, morally upright life. And so we can look at the Bible and we can find out this is what an example of truly righteous living looks like. But the other way he helps us not to sin is through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that when we put our faith in him, when we trust in him, he sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, and the Holy Spirit works as a guide to help us to do what's right. So this week, when we sang the song at VBC that said, Jesus Christ has won the victory. Praise God, we're winners in him. What we meant is that through Jesus, we are winners over death and over sin. And I think it's so important for us to recognize what we're really winners over. Because, and I don't want to be a downer here, but I feel like I have to say it. The truth is, when we follow Jesus, even though we truly are winners, sometimes other people think of us as losers. 
See, in the same letter where Paul said, in Jesus Christ, the victory is won, he also said this. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. The scum of the earth. Now, that's not a phrase you expect to hear in the Bible, is it? What Paul is saying is that many people considered him and the rest of the apostles to be losers. The refuse of the world, that's a way of saying garbage. People see us like we're garbage. People see us like we're, we're losers. And the reason people saw them that way is because when people follow Jesus, we don't always look like winners to other people. Because how Jesus defines winning and how the world defines winning is not the same. See, here's how the world defines winners, or at least a few ways that the world defines winners. Winners are people who are athletic. Winners are people who have a lot of money. Winners are people who are popular. Winners are people who have the best clothes. Winners are people who have the most friends. Winners are people who are the best looking. But remember, Jesus did not come to bring us victory in any of those areas, right? The victory he brings is victory over death and over sin, not victory in our bank account or on our sports team or in our physical appearance. You know how Jesus defines a winner? According to Jesus, a winner is someone who cares about doing what God wants more than anything else. That's what a true winner is. And Jesus told us that what God wants more than anything else is for us to love him and for us to love other people. But the thing is, if we care too much about how much money we have or how popular we are or how good-looking we are, then we aren't able to love God and to love other people because we're too distracted. And when we care more about those things than other people, we can actually end up doing some really terrible things. Let me give an example that I think some of the kids might be able to relate to. When I was a kid, I remember that in school every year, there were always a couple kids who ended up getting picked on all the time. There are always a couple kids who, for whatever reason, were designated as the losers. Uh, for some reason, the class had decided that they weren't athletic enough or popular enough to be respected. Now, I can remember that as a kid, I really wanted to be seen as a winner. That was something that was important to me. And I was worried enough that I was nervous. I was scared to be friendly with the kids who were picked on because I thought if I was too friendly with them, that I might get picked on too. Now, when I think back to those days now, I wish I had stood up for those kids in my class. You know, I wish I had actually made an effort to be their friend, even if that did mean that I got picked on. I wish I had just done it anyway, because it wasn't right the way those kids were treated. And Jesus would have wanted me to love them. But at the time, when I was a kid, I cared a little too much about being seen as a winner. And the sad thing is, when we care too much about being seen as a winner, 
but we actually become more like a loser. Because, and this is the way I would summarize it, a true winner cares more about doing what's right than about winning. And so for any of the kids here this morning, I really, I want to encourage you not to make that mistake that I did. You know, I want to encourage you to choose to follow Jesus' definition of being a winner by loving other people. Because I guarantee you that if you don't, you will regret it. And if you happen to be the person who is getting picked on, I just want to say, I'm really sorry. No, that's not fair. And regardless of what anybody else says, you are not a loser. In fact, you have incredible value. You have so much value that Jesus Christ died for you. You know, and Jesus Christ is God, so I think God's opinion has a, is a lot more significant than what any other person might say about you. God thinks you are worth dying for. That's how much he cares about you. So again, a true winner cares more about doing what's right than about winning. And so the question I want to finish with this morning for both the kids and for the adults is this. Are we willing to be seen as losers in order to be true winners? And here's a couple ways that that might, might look. You know, are we willing to hold beliefs that are unpopular? Are we willing to associate with people who might harm our social status? You know, God says that all people are valuable. He loves everyone. And so we're supposed to reflect that. And that might mean, at times, spending time with, with people who, when we spend time with them, other people might look down on us. But that's what God calls us to do. Are we willing to respond gently when people attack us? You know, the world seems to think that being a true winner means getting revenge, fighting back, proving that you're more powerful and stronger. But by Jesus' definition, a real winner is someone who's able to forgive and let things go and not always be desperate to defend their reputation? Are we willing to share our wealth rather than just use it to buy more expensive things that we don't need? The world sometimes defines winning as just having more stuff than other people, more stuff and better stuff. But Jesus' definition of being a true winner means being willing to share when you have more than what you need. Now, are we willing to be obedient to God even when his rules might seem out of, out of date or foolish to other people? And are we willing to surrender our lives over to God and to his purposes? Um, a lot of the time, the way the world defines winning is just kind of living for yourself, creating your own destiny, that sort of thing. But Jesus says that a true winner is someone who surrenders to the will of God, who doesn't let their own will dictate everything that they do. Now, being willing to do any of those things can lead us to be seen as losers. But Jesus says that it's when we're willing to lose our lives that we truly gain them. It's when we're willing to be seen as losers that we can experience true victory. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you that you have won the victory for us through Jesus. We thank you that you have conquered death, uh, that we can look forward to receiving imperishable bodies. We thank you that you have conquered sin, that our sin no longer needs to condemn us. Um, And we thank you that you've also given us resources to have victory over sin in this life, to... um, to go beyond being controlled just by whatever impulse we might have in the moment, Lord. And God, I, uh, I pray that you would help us to be free from the way the world defines winning sometimes. God, help us to be willing to lose so that we can truly win. Um, help us to... to to really get used to this idea that uh, true winning sometimes looks like losing, and that's okay. God, I pray that you'd help us to be truly free and truly alive. In Jesus' name, amen.